episode 22 of the DNC podcast, Friday edition. We are back. Baseball's back. Regular season action opening up last night. Dustin, how do you feel about that? How good does it feel to be able to watch sports again, even if they have cardboard cutouts of fans? Dodgers look really good. Like, if you're going to start Dustin May in your opener and win 8-1, like, you're just flexing on the league. You're like, hey, we're the Dodgers. We just signed someone to an almost $400 million contract. It's what we're all about. Beat us. Like, it's absolutely crazy to start Dustin May for game one of the season, regardless of, like, the holdout. I mean, it's like the restart of the season, but it's basically like it's opening day, you know, and you're starting Dustin May when you have Walker Bueller, Clayton Kershaw, and obviously, like, I think they said for health reasons, Clayton wasn't going to start, but I thought that was, a, a like, a subtle flex from L.A., like, we're going to win this year at all costs. No, absolutely, because the Clayton Kershaw situation happened, like, really quick. Like, it wasn't something that they foresaw happening, and so Dustin May coming out and them winning 8-1, it, it was it was a massive flex, and a even more massive flex was them signing Mookie Betts to a twelve year, three hundred sixty five million dollar contract. Um, it obviously turned into an extension because of his one year deal that he's on right now, which turns into basically a thirteen year extension for three hundred ninety two million dollars. And basically, what we're looking at is the Dodgers are all in, like they're they're all in to winning a World Series, and I don't I don't think it's something that they haven't been doing over the last five to six years because they've definitely been one of the top teams in baseball and been on the cusp essentially of winning a title and they just haven't been able to and I think now more than ever they have no excuse like they have two frontline starters and Walker Bueller as you talked about and Clayton Kershaw with both of those guys now again the question mark always rises with Clayton is he gonna perform in the playoffs we don't know because we've never seen it consistently at all. So, but offensively, you got Cody Bellinger, who's the reigning NL MVP. You got Max Muncy, who's going to be an MVP candidate going forward. Mookie Betts will probably win another one to two more MVPs with the Dodgers. And they've got a, a great farm system. You, you got Jock Peterson in the outfield. I mean, there's so much talent. Corey Seager at shortstop. I mean, it, I, it just, the list goes on. You got Turner. Have you seen that guy's beard? It's unbelievable. Like, and it's red. So it's like Santa Claus, but it looks like he, he ate hot Cheetos and like, you know, whose beard is really, beard. who's really bad? LeBron's beard's really bad with like the with LeBron's with like the gray on the side. Like, yeah, I think he's waiting until the season starts to trim it. But you look at the Dodgers and it's not even about this year. Like, we talk about duels all the time in sports, but you have Mookie Betts 27, you have Cody Bellinger 25, and you have Walker Bueller. 25 24 25 like you have that trio for the next 10 years it's not even like about this year you look at their setup for the next five to ten years i mean i know you're gonna have the best duo with with Betts and bellinger because bellinger you know they're, they're both interchangeable outfielders that can play center field left field yep. right field power hitters hit with an average they can steal bases I think it's just funny because you look at like the Angels and they've had Mike, Mike Trout, right? And you're like, hey, can we get someone for Trout? They get Rendon this year, but I, I still want to compare Rendon to probably Bellinger um, or Betts just because I don't think he impacts the game you know, defensively like those two do. But it's like Mike Trout's been waiting for forever to have you know his his battle partner. And Cody Bellinger has been on a, a great team the last three or four years. Oh, well, here, we're going to give you Betts for another 10 years. Like, do the, can the rich just get any richer? It's absolutely crazy. I know, and then that's the thing. So if they don't, if they don't at least get two World Series out of this team, then it's a massive failure. Because 
outside of maybe Houston, they have the deepest team in, in baseball. So we'll have to see what happens with that. But I love this move. I'm not super big on massive contracts in baseball because they don't typically pan out. You look at the Pujols deal, John Carlos Stanton's deal that he signed with the Marlins that ended up basically getting converted over when he got traded to the, the Yankees. And these contracts, because they're so long and these guys sign them typically because of arbitration and baseball, guys don't typically get a chance to get these big contracts till you know 25 to 27. So you're signing 10 to 13 year deals. Now you're talking mid to late 30s when these contracts are up. You know, the, the Pujols deal with, with the Angels, I remember when he signed that back in 2011, 2012, I thought, man, what a horrible deal. And, I, and honestly, it, it's, I don't think it's worked out per se because they haven't won anything, but he's been pretty productive over the course of the contract. Like he hasn't been a complete bust, but the majority of the time, just because again, it's hard to project a guy out for, you know, 10 to 12 years. I think when you look at baseball contracts, you're you're essentially looking at the first probably five years, right? Maybe the first five to seven, depending on how young the guy is when he signs that contract. So with the Mookie Betts deal, it's like, look, even if you only get the next five years out of him at all-star, you know, all-star production, maybe an MVP here and there throughout the next five to seven years, and you win a title or you win two it's worth it. Like, and then the last six years, essentially seven years of that contract are, are sort of a wash. Maybe you trade them away or what have you. But I think there's just no excuse now. The Dodgers have been really, really, really good for the last seven to eight years. And you just added arguably the second or third best player in baseball. And you coupled him with Cody Bellinger is probably top seven to 10. You got Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller, Again, my only question mark is with their bullpen. Like they need to address their bullpen issues because in this shortened season, it's probably not going to be exposed as much as it would be over the course of a regular season and playoffs. But I love what what the Dodgers, I mean, they were they're extremely, extremely aggressive when it comes to adding talent around the talent that they have. I mean, you remember when they traded for Manny Machado a couple years back? And, and obviously they weren't able to keep them long-term, but they went to the world series that year. So again, just love the aggression, the aggressiveness here on the, the, the front office side of things for the Dodgers and hockey's coming to the Pacific Northwest, the Seattle Kraken are at the NHL's 32nd team. And they will, they won't begin their tenure in the, in the league until 2021, 2022 season, but we talked about this pre-show. I absolutely love their logo, love the name. It's fitting for the city of Seattle. And I love their sweaters. Like, I think they're super clean. Like their logo, they have like an, a, a K uh, or an S, excuse me. And then they also have an anchor and it's got the space needle in the center. They're honestly going to probably be really good really quickly. Because when you look at what happened with uh, the Knights. The Knights, right? I guess the way hockey is constructed, I think you only keep like your top four or five players like locked and then the way it works with acquiring talent from around the league. So when the Knights basically got established as a team, they didn't have like a superstar, but they were so deep at every position because they were getting like every team's fourth or fifth best player and they won a, they won a Stanley Cup their first year. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the Kraken. Great sports market. Well, they made, For they me, made I'm it just to hoping, the Stanley Cup. They made it to the Stanley Cup. Cup. Yeah, 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 yeah. For me... I'm just hoping that this, you know, 
maybe leads to a basketball team coming back to Seattle. Seattle's Man. such a big basketball market. You've had such great players come out of there like Jamal Crawford, Zach Levine. Everyone in Seattle loves basketball. It's a great fan base. You look at the Seahawks, the 12th man. That's what I'm really hoping for. I grew up playing hockey. I think hockey is fun to watch live. I don't love watching hockey on TV, so I don't watch as, as much as a lot of people out there. But I really hope this get Seattle a little closer to getting a basketball team. I think they're playing in, in the Sonics old uh, or arena. So like the right. setup's still there. You can dra- transition from the ice to the wood. So that's what I'm really hoping for. Yeah, it would be really cool to see like post-career Kevin Durant get together with like Ray Allen and Russell Wilson. Because Russell Wilson owns, he has, I know he has ownership stake in the Seattle soccer team for the MLS. So if they could come together, maybe some other investors and bring the Sonics back to town, that would be pretty amazing. So the Yankees also pulled off their win last night in a 4-1 victory over the Nationals. And I, and I first saw this. Like I, I definitely saw the Dodgers taking out the Giants. They're, the Giants are going to have a down year. Buster Posey sitting out the entire season. They lost Madison Bumgarner. And they just don't have a ton of firepower offensively. And their pitching staff is pretty weak. But then you look at the, the Yankees, who we talked about last episode. They also have a chance, I think, to make a run at a World Series this year. And I think they showed that last night with Giancarlo Stanton launching one into yesteryear. And um, so it was nice to see him back healthy. So it's going to be interesting to see him and Aaron Judge both now healthy and what they're going to be able to do and see if that pairing in the lineup can produce the way that they thought it would when they traded for Giancarlo. Um, but I also want to talk about something that's really been bothering me because – we with the massive contract that Patrick Mahomes received this offseason for projected $503 million, it's got everybody talking and everybody thinking about this dynasty that potentially we are watching unfold before our eyes. They also signed Chris Jones to an extension. And Tyreek Hill came out and said something really interesting yesterday. And he said, why not seven rings? Right now, we're just chasing Jordan. So that's what we do. So I'm going over five, maybe seven. And I know we talked about this as well prior to the show. I just don't understand why casual football fans can't see how difficult it is to win a Super Bowl. I think in any sports, like dynasties for the most part, it's so, people are so fast to like want to create a dynasty, but it hardly ever works. I mean, you look at LeBron going to Miami. It was what, not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six. Everyone would have thought they would have won more than two. Everybody. Everyone would have thought he would have re-signed after four years. Like the casual fan would have thought LeBron's winning five. Easy. Or he's going to tie Jordan. Easy. We just mentioned the Dodgers. You looked at the Dodgers roster the last three or four years. You would assume the Dodgers would have already had one, not if one or two, maybe even three World Series. And you look at them for the next year and you go, oh, they're positioned to win maybe three but they haven't won any yet. And then you look at the Chiefs and it's like, all right, you guys won one. Congrats. And then Kyle Shanahan, as much as I love him as a coach, and he's probably one of the top two or three coaches I would take if I'm going to run a franchise, he choked again, right? He choked the Falcons Super Bowl again, which I'm grateful for as a Patriots fan. Kind of choked this one away. And so you win a Super Bowl and I get that you're like, awesome. But I I, I think Tom Brady had a, had a tweet reaction to Tyreek Hill and he's like, oh, I like the idea of seven or something like that because homeboy already has six. Brady didn't win six in a row. He won three really early on in his career. And then yes, New England had a lot of regular season success, 
and they made two Super Bowls, but they, they lost two to the Giants in like an 11-year window. So he didn't win any for over a decade. Then he gets three more towards the latter half of his career, so people look at Brady and like, oh, well, Brady won six, but it's almost like he had two careers. It was like the early Super Bowl career, and then... That after that's when he started getting really, really good. He kind of transitioned the offense, and there was this huge break, and then he won three more towards the latter end of his career, but it's not like he won six in a row. So I get that the Chiefs are the new sexy team. I get that they have all these offensive weapons. I get they have Patrick Mahomes, who's every day putting out a new video of throwing a football behind his back because apparently he's going to do that in a game now, and I get that Instagram's a rage and social media and all that type of stuff, but like we got to hold on for a second because... Championships are in any sport are hard to win, but in football specifically, where you don't have a seven game series, it's not a best out of four, it's it's sixty minutes, any team can win it. Yeah, that that's that's my argument right there, is that when you look at the NBA or you look at Major League Baseball or you look at hockey, and now we're talking about the NFL, teams that repeat or even three peat is so rare. It doesn't matter how good of a roster you have. That's why people see MJ in this in this rare air when it comes to all-time athletes. It's because he repeated not once, but twice. That's incredibly difficult to do. Kobe almost did it twice. And when I look at the NFL, I don't think there's a harder predictor in terms of sports than picking the champion for the NFL. Because even though it's a shorter season than the NBA or Major League Baseball or hockey, it's the most physical. So anything can happen in those 16 games. So if like the year Tom went out with the ACL and they miss, he missed that whole season, they, they obviously, they didn't even make the playoffs that year. So you can't foresee potential injuries happening to not just Patrick Mahomes, but to other players, skill position guys, Travis Kelsey, Sammy Watkins, Tyreek Hill, these guys getting hurt. You can't foresee that. So Again, in a league that the team that typically is going to win the championship, whatever team's in the playoff is the most healthy, probably going to have the best chance to make a run. Not always the most talented. And so when I look at what everybody's saying about the Chiefs, look, I, I think it's great. They're extremely talented. You have the best young quarterback in football. You just signed them to a massive deal. You've got Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, McCole Hardman. you got Chris Jones shirt up. So it's exciting. However, it's so incredibly difficult. The year prior, when they lost to your beloved New England Patriots in the AFC Championship game, I think a lot of people would have thought, okay, if they had won that game, they're probably going to win the Super Bowl that year, which would have given Patrick Mahomes two rings already in his first three years in the NFL, which would have been an amazing accomplishment. However, they lost. And I think looking into the future, the thing that bothers me about this is that the NFL is so hard. It's so hard to win. What Tom has done is so unbelievably difficult and rare and unique. You can't just say, oh, because Patrick Mahomes looks really good playing the quarterback position and he could throw the ball 100 yards, that they're going to win seven Super Bowls. That's a lot of championships. And when I even look at Tommy's situation, he technically could have eight to nine. If you really look at it, he was close for sure in both of the games against the Giants. So that would have given him eight. Definitely should have been the Philadelphia Eagles, which would have given you nine. But I think people over, they overlook the aspect of the physicality of the game, the unknowns, weather, how that's going to affect your game. I mean, Peyton Manning, one of the main reasons why he couldn't get out of 
the AFC for all of those years was because he ran into your beloved New England Patriots in Foxborough in December and in January. So that's an issue, right? For a dome team. So it's like, there's, there's so many other elements and aspects to, to football and to the NFL that makes it very hard to predict. Whereas with the NBA, you have a guy like LeBron or Giannis or Kawhi, and you put them on really any team, that team's an immediate contender. I'm not saying that they're going to win a title, but if you take LeBron off the Lakers right now, and they just have Anthony Davis and the rest of that supporting cast, they're, they're maybe not even a playoff team. Maybe, maybe an eighth seed, but I would guess, I would put my money on the fact that they're probably not a playoff team. Then you add LeBron, they're the favorites to win the title. That's how basketball is. One to two guys can control a destiny for a basketball team. Kawhi Leonard proved that last year with the Toronto Raptors. So I think it's very ignorant and it's very naive to make the claim that, oh, we won one because you're on this high right now. It's much easier being the hunter rather than being the hunted. And the Chiefs now are the hunted. So everybody's going to give you their best every single week. That's why when you look at Tommy's career and the Patriots and what they did over his 20 years, it's so impressive, albeit that you guys are in a horrible division. It's so impressive because you were hunted for 20, for basically two decades. And you're getting a team's best week in and week out. Even if you're playing the worst team in football, they're going to give you their best because you're the New England Patriots. That's what the Kansas City Chiefs are going to face over the next decade. Not just week one and not just week 17. In the playoffs against every team, you're going to get their absolute best because they want a piece of you because you're supposedly the greatest team in the sport. So, I mean, I've been on a fair share of bad teams in my sports career. Whenever we played the best team, you had like this renewed energy and excitement to play because you wanted to go up against the best. At least I did. So again, I know that's a lot, but I think we need to massively pump the brakes on this dynasty deal. Like they weren't even talking about dynasty with your Patriots until you guys won the third, the first time around. That's when they started talking about a dynasty. Well, it's one thing I think like Patrick Mahomes, when Chris Jones came back, it's like, oh, like, let's do it again. Like, there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, let's, you know, let's no, go for the repeat. No, I have no issue with And then, with and then when you get way. the repeat, then say like, hey, let's go for the three-peat. But when you're casually like, yo, I'm chasing Jordan when you've won one, it's like there hasn't been that many dynasties in all of sports. It's like you look, and it also like, what do you consider a dynasty? To me, like a four-year run, that's not a dynasty. Like the Heat, they they weren't a dynasty. Nope, Golden State, not at all. they weren't a dynasty. They, they weren't. They won a few, so they had a good run. But like when I think of sports dynasties, I think of the Patriots and I think of the Spurs. And that's pretty much it. Because even when you look at the Yankees, like there was times where the Yankees, at least hist- like in recent history, they'd have a few good years and then the Red Sox would reload and then the Yankees would reload. And it's like a dynasty is like, I would say the Bulls year- are definitely a dynasty. Yeah, yeah that's like an eight. That's like an eight year run. Right? right. But it's like you look at like the Chiefs is like you won one. So like you're not even in the dynasty realm unless you win, you know, two to three more in the next four to seven years. So like you gotta you gotta pump the brakes a little bit on that. Um, it's crazy, man. But let me get over to my pick of the day before we go too far into the episode. So for my pick of the day, I have Antonio Brown, or my new nickname for him, Mister CTE. So I don't know if it was that Vontez Burfitt hit like three or four years in the playoffs. That was brutal. But it seems like since then he's just like been on another level. Like it's getting to the point now where I honestly like. I kind of feel bad it's for concerning. the guy. It's concerning. No, it's genuinely no, concerning. Yeah, like, I feel like he needs a guy, like, whether it's a social media manager or one of his boys to just be like, <laughs> bro, like, just stay off. Like, it's so up and down. 
Like it is absolutely crazy. Like I'm going to retire. I'm not going to retire. I just want to be a team player. I just want to be in the NFL. Like I think the funny thing is like when you look back at like historical diva like wide receivers, like even the narrative like OBJ got a few years ago, or T.O. right throughout his career, or Randy Moss, or a guy like Chad Johnson. It's not even close. Like this guy's gone beyond the diva like <laughs> mindset to like. I think he actually might be crazy. Like I feel bad. Like I feel like there's something going on there. It, it, it's absolutely mind blowing. Like I feel like I'd have no idea when this saga is going to end. Well, the, the inconsistencies are in the way in which he tweets, right? So it's like it's not just it's not just leaving it up for your own guesstimation. Like there's no cliffhanger, right? It's like. I am retiring from the game of football. I'm done. Like I have nothing left after all these years, after 11 years. And the next day he's coming out basically apologizing and bashing Roger Goodell in the NFL for not figuring out what to do with his recent allegations and whether or not they're going to reinstate him. And you're right. Like I've thought about this many times because you never know where somebody's at, right? Like, you don't know if this is his actual personality, which on a level, I really believe it is. But then you look at, okay, some of the patterns of his actions, you want to, you want to believe that somebody's not that stupid. Like you really do, especially like a high profile athlete who has been around a lot of successful people, who's had a lot of success himself. You want to give that person the benefit of the doubt that they're, they're going to make the right decision. They're going to make good choices. They're going to say the right things. Not all the time, but for the large majority of the time. And it's like, he continues to shoot himself in the foot. And so it would be interesting to see him play in the NFL again, just to see if like he could still do it, um, which I think he could, but he's oh, now I, getting I older. Cap, yes, it, I, I think Kaepernick will get a deal before Antonio Brown. I think he's done. Like, I think it's over. I think he has no shot. Do you think it's because people don't want the circus or do you think it's because of money age i just think out of the NFL. He's like, he seems so like emotionally like unstable like it's not even like the circus it's like no this guy like might be crazy like you look at a team like seattle who could probably figure something out on a one-year deal right you look at new england gave him a shot like there's plenty of teams that could use antonio brown and it's like if he just stayed off twitter he'd probably have a job or at least a tryout like he's he, so talented he's such he just, a gifted route runner yeah, if he had just abide by the rules when he was in Oakland, now the Las Vegas Raiders, he would have got his guaranteed contract and he would have played last year, the full season. No, I just think people look at him and they're like, dude, we could sign him to a good deal next year, like tomorrow, and then the next day he might be like, yo, I want out. And I think it's just because it comes, it might not even be the fact that it's like, he's such a circus, but like, obviously, if you're going to sign Antonio Brown to your team, you're going to make him probably a somewhat integral part of your offense because he's so talented. And so because he's so up and down, like what if you're the Seattle and you sign him and, you know, they're kind of a run heavy offense. So week three, he's not getting touches and he's like, yo, I'm out. Then you're like, oh crap, what do we do? And so I think it more has to go with the fact that it's like nobody at any level has any idea what's going on with his mind. And the craziest part is I don't think he does either. So my pick of the day is another rant about a player, and that's Jamal Adams, the all-pro, Pro Bowl safety from the New York Jets. And I'm so been, good, dude. I, I've been monitoring, I, I, and I don't care. This, I'm going to get into <laughs> why that's irrelevant to my my pick of the day because I, I'm so fed up with this. Like I've been monitoring this guy's actions for the last six to seven months, 
And so back in January on the, on the 29th, Adams tweeted, I want to be in New York. Okay. So he had a desire to be in New York and, and who wouldn't want to be right. You're in, you're in the Mecca, you're in the big apple. You're, you're in a great place for, for making money outside of football with endorsements. So I, I don't blame I think any the key player. Part, I think the key part of that tweet is I want to be in New York, not I want to be a jet. So that was, that was the underlying thing. It was like, are you wanting to be a giant or, I mean, you could technically become a Buffalo bill cause they're in New York, but I don't think anybody wants to go to Buffalo. Um, so then, then last month, I don't know if you remember this, but a fan was recording and saw him driving in Dallas and yelled out, come to Dallas. And Jamal Adams response was, I'm trying, bro. Then he does have the big Dallas star tattoo on his leg. I think he grew up in, in Dallas. Big Dallas. Yeah. yeah. Fan, he, so. He's, he's from, he's from the area. So then on this, this past Wednesday, Adams attacked their owner, Woody Johnson, on Twitter in response to a CNN report that came out that was allegedly saying that Johnson made racist and sexist remarks while serving overseas in his role as the U.S. ambassador to the United Kingdom. And Jamal Adams' quote was, we need the right people to talk wrong is wrong. It's like, okay, look, if what if if the allegations are in fact true about Woody Johnson, then sure, make that statement. But don't make that statement the same day it comes out when it's just an allegation, there's no facts yet. There's no, there's no proof yet. You don't even need to comment on that. Like there's no point, like maybe have a conversation internally with the organization and the front office, but you don't need to tweet that. All right. So then today there's, there's more information and he bashes his head coach, Adam Gase saying, quote, I don't feel like he's the right leader for this organization to reach the promised land. As a leader, what really bothers me is that he doesn't have a relationship with everybody in the building. At the end of the day, Gase doesn't address the team. If there's a problem in the locker room, he lets another coach address the team. If we're playing expletive, and I'll just substitute that with badly, and we're losing, he doesn't address the entire team as a group at halftime. He'll walk out of the locker room and let another coach handle it. Okay, that aspect I understand, right? Like I would lose respect as a player if the head coach doesn't address the team. But that's, that's I've heard everybody hates Adam Gates, like Miami, yeah. Jets. He's bad. I have, look, I have no issue with not liking Adam Gates. I have an issue with the fact that you are the face of the franchise. You are the best player on your football team. You don't need to say this stuff. You don't need to publicly put yourself on the map as a distraction because teams that want to trade for you might not trade for you now because they don't want to deal with this. Look, here's, here's the problem. When you come into the league, when he got drafted by the Jets, okay, he didn't come into the league spewing negativity, speaking out about head coaches in the front office, okay? Why? Well, before you come to the league, you can't be that way because then you look like an idiot because you haven't proven anything. Once these guys prove themselves, then all of a sudden they feel that they have the ability and the authority to speak out on whatever they want. Whatever filters through their mind, they can speak it. And it's just not using wisdom. And that's my issue here. It's not that that the Jets haven't handled this properly or improperly, which I really believe that they have not handled it the best, but they are contractually obligated to do what they're doing. Like he's under contract for the next year or two. They can exercise his fifth year option. Look, they're, they're not doing anything against what the contract is. However, he wants money early because of what he's done in terms of production on the field. And I don't blame him for that. But look, you don't need to say everything you're thinking, especially in the New York market. 
Like keep your mouth shut about stuff that's not that big a deal. Or more importantly, if you really feel like you need to get off your chest, then make that phone call internally. You don't need to make it publicly because it makes you look bad. It makes the organization look bad. It makes you look dishonorable. And quite frankly, makes you look like you lack leadership skills because that's not what leaders do. You can still feel this way, but you have those conversations man to man internally with the head coach, the GM, the front office. So I know that's a mouthful. I know we talked about a lot, but guess what? We haven't even gotten into the show yet. So coming up on the podcast today, we're going to get into the NBA scrimmage games that came back yesterday and today. And we're going to talk about the new look Nuggets because they've made some huge adjustments and changes to their starting lineup. And then we're also going to get into a really fun question. So the Timberwolves are up for sale, which got us thinking. And we're going to talk about if there was any sports team that we could buy, minus our favorite team. So for for Dustin, that would be the New England Patriots. For myself, that would be the Dallas Cowboys. What team would we own? And would we be a hands-on or hands-off owner? So I think this goes without saying, but everybody's excited because sports are back. We got Major League Baseball's back. The NBA is going to be back next week. Scrimmage game started yesterday and today. So we're looking at some of the teams that played yesterday and today and kind of some of our takeaways of those teams and who we really feel like looked good, looked like they were in midseason form and those teams that maybe have some work to do. And then the new look Denver Nuggets. They are starting Bull Bull who's a center, seven foot two at small forward. And then they're moving Nikola Jokic, their center, their all-star center to point guard. And in my opinion, I think this is a horrible move. I think in theory, this sounds great. On paper, this looks amazing. You're like, you got so much length, so much size. But when I look into the West and I look at the teams that they're going to have to face potentially, right? So I'll just throw out some. You got the Clippers, the Lakers, the Rockets, the Blazers, the Jazz, the Thunder, the Mavs, the Grizzlies are just some of the teams that are potentially going to be in the playoffs, right? Some of those are for sure. And we don't know if the Grizzlies or the Blazers are, are going to get it. But I look at the majority of those rosters. They, most of them have great guards, okay? You got the Blazers, you got Dame Lillard, the Jazz got Donovan Mitchell, the Thunder have Chris Paul, the Mavs have Luka Doncic, the Grizzlies have John Morant, the Rockets have Westbrook and Harden. And I'm like, where... Where in their thought process, like where did coach Michael Malone decide, hey, I'm going to make two seven footers, not just my bigs down low. I'm going to put my center at point guard and then I'm going to put another center at small forward and basically eliminate all of my athleticism and speed off the court. I, I don't really foresee this working. It's an absolute disaster defensively. Like there's no way it's going to work if like, especially at the point guard position, like you have trouble having a guard cover Russell Westbrook or James Harden. Like Jamal Murray, who's a great kid out of Kentucky, great offensively. Like he struggles defensively and he's the best athlete on their team. So like, there's no way it's going to work. I, I like the idea of maybe seeing if like Bull Bull can play like power forward. And then for Jokic is like, you can still have him play a point forward type position defensively, like at the center position, but it's just, he's not a good enough athlete where he can rotate defensively. He, he just can. And so I don't think they actually do this when like the season starts. I think they look at like these preseason games and they're kind of looking at 
Well, the reality is like, unless they do something drastic this year, they're, they're not going to win the chip, right? It's going to be anyone's winning it in the West. I think it's going to be the Clippers, the Lakers, maybe, maybe Houston, but I still feel like they're quite a few steps back, but it's like, you're thinking LA, you're thinking maybe Milwaukee, maybe Boston. So if I'm the Nuggets, it's like, hey, if I can get Bull Bull in these competitive games now, we're pretty much already locked up for the playoffs. If I can go into next year thinking, okay, next year Michael Porter Jr. is healthy, so I can put him at the three. I can have Bull Bull at the four, or even come off as a six man, and I have Jokic. All those guys can shoot. They're all pretty athletic. They can all distribute. That's going to work. I think this is like a fun topic to talk about, and I think that's kind of why they kind of released the new lineup just because like, hey, let's talk about the Nuggets, not the Sixers, um, who actually, my boy Ben Simmons today took two threes, made one of them at his new power forward position. So that's exciting. But yeah, I, I think if they actually go with this lineup that they, they spoke about, there's no way it's going to work. And a team that could possibly contend, I would say for maybe the Western Conference Finals with how deep they are, they're out in the first round if, if this is a lineup they go with. No, for sure. Because defensively, it sounds great. But then when you're talking about the teams you're going to have to face, like I mentioned earlier, how how is it that Nikola Jokic is going to guard Westbrook or Doncic or Ja Morant or Damian Lillard or CP3 even, right? Like I look I look at those matchups and it's like, Okay, what they were discussing was because there's so much length on some of these other teams like the Clippers and the Lakers, you have the ability to, if LeBron's getting to the rack or AD's getting to the rack, you have you have those tall trees down there to help defend. But again, when you have guards that are five times faster and quicker than you are and far more athletic, I just don't I don't see how that's not a liability. And so not I to think mention- what happens if they end up doing it is like they may they may start off at that position, but they're going to basically only play that position on the offense side of the ball. And then you look at a guy like Grant or Torrey Craig, who are like they're good wing defenders. And on defense, they're going to play the one and the two. And so it's like it's not really him playing a true point guard position or a true small forward position. I think it's more about movement offensively. But it just it sounds fun and exciting, and it gets people talking about the Nuggets. If you're like, "Hey, we have a seven-one center playing point guard," well, and I even think like Jamal Murray or Gary Harris. It's like those are typically their two starting guards, and it's like you're taking Jamal Murray, who I believe outside of Jokic is their best scorer. So it's like you're taking him off the court, and then Gary Harris. I don't see him as necessarily a huge piece to their offense, but he he can be a streaky scorer. So. It's like you're taking those guys off the floor. So it's like, if you're going to do this, the only way I see it working is you using it in certain scenarios, right? In maybe different series that you're in, right? The matchup, maybe in the fourth quarter, maybe make those adjustments then for a short period of time, but it can't be a permanent adjustment that you make. They'll be, they'll be knocked in the first round. There's just no way that you start this, this starting five and you guys make a run to the NBA finals. So, but on the positive side of things, there was a team that I really, really thought looked well, and that was the Dallas Mavericks. And I felt like everybody looked like they're in midseason form. Seth Curry was six for six from three. Luca and Porzingis looked super first and foremost. Porzingis looked healthy and rested. Luca looked like he was in midseason form. His step back threes, his ability to get to the lane. Porzingis looked bouncy. So I really loved what I what I saw from this team. I like what they could potentially be not this year, but over the next five to seven years. I think if they can keep Porzingis, if he wants to stay there and maybe add another player, I think you got 
probably the next Western Conference team to make a run for that long period of time. So I love the roster. I just think they're a little young. They haven't played enough with each other. But as they start to develop together, Porzingis is still super young. And so is Luca. Luca's 21, Porzingis is 24. So when I look at both of those guys, you have two centerpieces, two potential franchise guys. Doncic will probably be an MVP candidate for the next five to 10 years. And you add a third piece to that roster. Now you're talking as LeBron continues to get older and phases out of the league. The Warriors are getting older. You got some of these up and coming Western Conference teams, you know, with the Pelicans, with the Mavs, and you got Houston's getting older. A lot of these Western Conference teams have a lot of stars, but they're older. And so I I like what I saw. They beat the Lakers, which was good. I think it gave them a boost of confidence. I'm sure the Lakers are not necessarily giving their all in an exhibition game because they have a bigger picture and a bigger goal that they're going after. But you still got to be happy with the way that they looked. Yeah, if they can sign Victor Oladipo in the offseason, who's going to be a free agent, be everyone's nice looking into Miami. 100%. But if they can get Victor Oladipo, because he's not really a true one, he'll kind of handle the ball for Indiana because they don't really have a true point guard. But it's like Luka has the ball so much. So if you can have Victor off the wing, great spot up three-point shooter, great in transition, awesome athlete, can cover the one, two, and three defensively. He can also take some of the pressure off Luka. If they can just sign him as a free agent, not give up anybody That'd be awesome. Or if they could make a trade for like a Bradley Bill type player, similar type player, not nearly as good defensively. Like I think Victor Oladipo on that team and you look at Porzingis defending the rim. Luca, I think if he can, I still think he's not in like great basketball shape. I think he's like two or three years away from bringing like prime basketball shape where he could probably lose, you know, say like 15 pounds and then he'd actually be a better defender because he'd be, he'd have quicker movement laterally. But I think they make a move like that and they could instantly be an impact team when I saw the Lakers, I'm like, dude, they look fresh. LeBron only played the first half, but he had one play where he got a rebound, was at the three-point line, took two steps, and dunked the ball. Like, the guy is, I think the guy is 35 years old, is absolutely nuts, especially when, like, Stephen Curry, Russell Westbrook, James Harden are all, like, 31. It's because LeBron obviously came straight out of the high school, and they had to play in college, so you don't, like, you look at LeBron, and you think he's so much older, but he's only, like, a year or two older. He's just been playing forever, but... Lakers look good. They look super energized. I was actually listening to Ryan Rosillo's podcast, one of my favorite podcasts from The Ringer, and he was saying he thinks one of the reason people are in such good shape is like all these guys are posting like their Instagram workout videos and they see like people working out. So like they want to show that they're putting in the work. The arrogance of athletes these days wanting to one up each other and show people like, hey, I'm putting in the work has helped because everyone minus Jared Dudley, who I think just ate donuts all of quarantine looks like they're in the best shapes of their lives. It's, or Dion Waiters. It's going to be a really... Yeah, but Dion Waiters has always had... He's like the only 30-year-old guy I know with a baby face. But he's like, so It's kind of like D-Wade. D-Wade always had like a fat shape. face, and then he was just like ripped. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, and then the Clippers, like Kawhi looked like he was in mid-season form. Paul George looked like the streaky hot Paul George. He's like so inconsistent. You never know what you're going to get, but I thought they looked really good. I'm excited, man. Like I was... Part of me was like, hey, are people going to be rusty? What is it going to look like? I still think for the Nuggets, Murray didn't even play in that game because a report came out that he was tired from golfing the day before. And so I I doubt once a playoff comes, he's not going to be in those situations. And so you can't take too much from it, from it being like one or two games. But my biggest takeaway is everyone looks like they're in really good shape. The teams have decent chemistry and everyone looks like they're going to give it their all. They all like, it's almost like a March madness in in a scenario where it's like, 
we're going to have a champion really, really quick. And so I feel like everyone's just going to give it their all. And I'm excited, man. Do you think, do you think golf was a cover up for him actually being with that girl that he was with in quarantine? <laughs> that, that, that picture surfaced. That was, that was so bad. Could you imagine being her and that getting released to the internet? It's tough, man. Like, I feel like that, so like bad. Like, you'll never recover from that. Night. Oh, no. I mean, it That's depends an who you scar. are. I mean, it could be, or if you're Kim Kardashian, it can turn into a multi-billion dollar career. So it's kind of like, how do you play your cards in that scenario? So with the Minnesota Timberwolves being for sale, it got us thinking about owning a sports franchise. I know for Dustin and I, that would be a huge dream and accomplishment. It's probably not going to happen because you have to have a lot of money, but we can absolutely dream. And so we thought, hey, what would be the team that we, or maybe teams that we would want to own? Could be in the NBA, could be in the NFL, the NHL, Major League Baseball. And would we be hands-on or hands-off? Would we be like Jerry Jones and be very hands-on, needing to talk to the media every single day after every single game? Or maybe be a lot more hands-off. Like maybe I look at I look at an owner like Robert Kraft, right, of the New England Patriots. I would say he's pretty hands-off. So um, we're going to give you our picks. I think this is going to be a really fun segment because we've never done anything like this before. And I think you guys would be actually really surprised at, at our picks. So Dustin, kick us off. I'm taking the New York Knicks. Like this was Ooh. actually pretty easy for me just because – Just because of the, the fact uniforms? That the New, I mean – the fact that the New York Knicks have been a brand, like they're still a brand, like people still talk about the Knicks, like the Knicks are relevant and they haven't been relevant since what, like 95? Maybe like they haven't, like 80s? they weren't, they weren't even, yeah, like they weren't even, yeah, like they had that run against, you know, Jordan, but they never ended up winning a chip, right? Especially like the year he took off uh, to play baseball. And then you look at Carmelo goes there with Amari, but then there's the whole Miami situation with LeBron and Wade. So they never did anything. Like, I don't even think they made the Eastern Conference Finals. Nope. But people still talk about the Knicks because they're in New York. The Garden, by pretty much every athlete, is considered like the everyone's favorite place to play. Like, it was Jordan's favorite place to play. LeBron. Kobe's favorite place to play. LeBron, like, no matter where they play, home arenas, like, you look at, you know, Jordan played in Chicago, LeBron. Currently plays in LA. He played in Miami. Kobe spent his whole career in LA. Like these are big markets, and they still said, "Hey, the Garden's number one." So you look at that. You'd have to think that if you had somewhat of a I'm trying to think of the right word, like somewhat of a functional owner, you'd be able to acquire like at least B level free agents. And and I would hope I would be better than than Dolan just just a little bit. And so you look at that. Also, like you mentioned. The best uniforms, not only in basketball, but maybe in sports. Like they, they they're just they're, they're perfect, so clean. Man. They're so they're clean. so clean. Like, and I'm all like, I always love like the the white home uniforms, but even their away uniforms are legit. Like their uniforms are just so clean. You, it's it's just like LA. You always have people there. Like Spike Lee goes to games when they when they win twelve games a year. And so, thank you. Take that. Take over that organization. The history just from being in New York what how people view the garden and when you look at like owning a team it's not like a turnaround when you're a coach when you're a coach you want to go into a situation where either you have young talent you have a veteran quarterback maybe have an all-star if it's a basketball team because you have to win in two to five years because if you're a head coach and you're not successful early on they're going to let you go where when you're an owner you know 
you're planning on holding onto that team for a significant amount of time, right? Either, you know, for anywhere from five to say 25 years, maybe it's going to be a generational play where you pass down to your kids. So you can have 10 years to rebuild the Knicks. So I look at the Knicks and I'm like, I can spend the next 10 years redoing that roster, getting a, a good head coach, and I'm in one of the best markets. And the value of them is just going to go up. I mean, you look at how bad the Knicks have been, and they're still the fifth highest franchise in the world, like not just in the U.S., in the world. And so I, th- I think that's who I would go with, man. So this is going to surprise – well, actually, I wanted to – I think with New York, you can never go wrong with any New York team. And I think it's funny that that we talk about the uniforms because there's something about blue, orange, and white that looks good. And I don't know why. Like I don't even like orange, to be honest with you. I hate oranges. I hate the taste of orange. But for whatever reason, when you combine it with the royal blue and the white, it looks super clean. Like you look at the New York Mets, they're also white, orange, and royal blue. Super clean uniforms. Pinstripes, beautiful, beautiful uniforms. And I look at the New York market and it's like, it's never going to, there's no negative aspect to being in the New York market other than maybe as a player or a coach or a GM, (laughs) or maybe even in this case, an owner with what the potential backlash could be from the media. But if you're actually producing, they'll love you more than anybody. So it's kind of like the winner. It's like hit or miss. It's like you're either you're either productive, you're giving them results, you're giving them something to cheer about, or you're abysmal like the Knicks have been for the last essentially 20 years. So it's like, I love that pick because you can't go wrong. You're, you always have a chance, unless you're Dolan, of course, to get a free and agent. And then if you if look at York. it from like a business standpoint, it's like, they went up, they've gone up like 8% in value of the franchise over the past five seasons every year, and they don't win. Like, they're worth a projected four point, like $4 billion. Like, that's the estimated value of the franchise if it would sell today. Like, the only American teams in front of it, I think, are the Dallas Cowboys, most of the, and, and the one, Yankees. Maybe. And then you look at the other teams are like Real Madrid and Barcelona, but they're the third biggest organization in the U.S., and they've sucked. Like that's crazy. Mind that soccer, that two soccer clubs could be in the top five. That still blows my mind because I'm not a soccer fan, but I won't sit here and bash it. I, I just think it's amazing that they were able to accomplish that. I just think it's because international soccer, like when you look at it's like so big. people always say like the world sport, it's like we live in America. So it's like you look at football and basketball. Right. The crazy thing is like you go to any other country and no one's talking about football, which is king in America, which which right. is I think that's part of the reason the value is so high. Well, fo- they but, are talking um, about football, but it's soccer. Well, yeah, football. Yeah. <laughs> so I think this one's going to surprise a lot of people. Um, but hear me out, okay? So I've got two teams, but the first is going to be the Dallas Mavericks. And here's why. So you're in a great market, right? Dallas is one of the top three to four sports markets, okay? Two, you have no state income tax, which is huge when you're talking about player contracts, coaching contracts, general manager contracts. Um, then you've got it's an attractive place to live. So it's a great, in terms of things to do, there's a lot to do in the Dallas Metroplex area and it's really a nice place to live and you can attract a ton of free agents. So I feel like Dallas has done a really good job, not necessarily getting that marquee free agents per se, but they've done a really good job at attracting guests. So you look at the acquiring of Jason Kidd a few years back that helped him win a title. You know They were able to get Porzingis, so they're not getting guys like LeBron or KD, but they can get some of the higher free agents that are out there. And so I feel like as an owner, I would love the ability to be in a market where players would want to come. Now, if I'm like an owner in Cleveland, 
other than having LeBron, it, they were they were unable to attract really anybody. So uh, the other thing is is I have a young core. So I know you you mentioned it not being a big deal because you're an owner. You could, you're going to own the franchise for probably the rest of your life. I'm looking at this now. So if I'm taking over now, I get Doncic and I get Porzingis, 21 and 24 years old. Both guys are going to be stars in this league. Doncic will probably go down as the greatest European player ever if he stays the course and continues to get better. And I love their uniforms. I think Dallas has got super clean uniforms. And I think they have a unique mascot. I think there's a lot of branding potential there. You look at a guy like Mark Cuban, who really probably wasn't a huge sports guy, took over the franchise and fell in love with it and has really made it into, I'd say, his life's mission and and goal to really spend the most time helping this franchise win championships. And I think it is in large part to where he's at, the players he has, the market he's in. And had he been the owner of the Memphis Grizzlies, I don't know if he would necessarily feel the same way. You look at Jordan and Charlotte, it's like, it's Michael Jordan, but he's almost, you don't even think about it because it's the Charlotte Hornets. So I love everything about this franchise, the location, financial aspects and benefits to it. Um, And I think if I could, if I could acquire, you know, a really good head coach, I think Rick Carlisle is a great head coach, but in the future, obviously, because he'd be stepping down at some point and retiring, I'd be able to attract a really high-level head coach there. And so for me, I look at from a financial aspect, I look at places and markets that I'm not going to get hit heavy with tax. In New York, you're going to hit get hit super heavy with that. And I know that people might say, hey, that's relative because of the amount of money and revenue you can generate in that type of market. But again, and I also love a, a, a huge challenge, right? So Dallas obviously won their first championship back in 2011 and haven't won one since, of course. But I love a challenge. I want to be a part of making the franchise historically great, right? And even though the Knicks have only won a couple of championships, they're still the brand is so much larger than their product on the court that you almost feel like they're bigger than what they really should be considered as. And with the Mavs, you don't really think about that because you're like, it's Dallas, even though it's a it's a great sports market, you don't necessarily think, hey, that's a franchise that is historically well known. And you think of Dirk as a well known player, but when he came here, I mean the Mavs really just were a younger franchise and weren't historically great. So that would be my first pick. So my second pick, I'm going to stay in the Big Apple. Um, And this actually like, this just shows how unbiased I'm being because this is my least favorite team in football. Just because they beat my Patriots in two Super Bowls. So my second pick, I have the New York Giants. The reason I picked the Giants, I think the Giants you look at the Giants and the Jets, I think the Giants have a way bigger share of the market than the Jets do in New That's York. That's a fact. You also look historically at the success they've had, the lineage they've had. And just like you mentioned with having Dantich and Przingis, I'm actually really big on Danny Dimes. Like I get into arguments with guys all the time about Murray, um, other young, like Drew Locke, uh, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield. Like I think Danny Dimes can be really, really good. And so you look at how long quarterbacks are playing now, also, the fact that he's only 24 years of old. The roster is in a really good place now where they've basically had an infusion of youth over the last two or three years. And it's a really historic franchise. It's the 10th highest valued franchise 
in the world. Um, I think the third or fourth in football behind the Cowboys. Uh, I think it's just behind the Cowboys and Patriots from like a value standpoint. I really like their jerseys, which is hard for me to say because I hate them. But I no, think their white jerseys are super fan, clean. Like no, their white jerseys are clean. Yes, as a Cowboys fan, they've they've probably been my top like two to three favorite uniforms in the NFL, and that's hard. And I Coming think from I, a Cowboys I, fan, that's really hard for me to admit. But you just they're beautiful. Like you, red, white, and blue, man. You're we're American. Like of course we're gonna love that. We're Patriots. Yeah, and I think I make a minor tweak to the helmets, go back to the old Giants font across the brim versus the new the the NY. But even though the Jets went back to their saying the Jets, the Jets suck. I mean, like no one. <laughs> Even Jets fans don't want to be Jets fans. I mean, it's, 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 you know, the Jets uniforms are so ugly. Like, you, you go to New York and you have one of the best uniforms in football and you're competing against one of the worst uniforms in football. The one thing I'd have to do is I hate the sharing of a stadium. So I, I couldn't long term share a stadium with the Jets. Um, I, I just don't like that. But yeah, I, I just look at the Giants. Historically, they've been so good. I love the market. I love that the history of that division, right? So you have the Giants, you have the Cowboys, you have the Eagles, you have the football team in Washington, as we like to call them now. Very historical franchises, always competitive. Like that division's always competitive, whether it's up or down. The one thing you can say about that division, and it's always competitive, like there's always three teams in it almost every year, at least two. They're really competitive, really good football, really good history of the game. I love history in general. Also, I love history of sports. So you look at all of those factors and it being in New York. And I have, in my opinion, my franchise quarterback, a lot of talent on that roster. I think they would be the, the second franchise um, if I if I struck out on the Knicks for whatever reason. And you have Saquon. Saquads. Yeah, would but I don't have him for two. Trade? I don't only have him for two more years because um, because I don't reach on running backs. My first move would be trading for your boy Jamal Adams. Oh my goodness! <laughs> so mine is also going to this one will be a surprise as well. So both my picks are, I think, very surprising. Um, so I'm also going to the NFL now, and I'm going to be the owner of the Las Vegas Raiders. Now, big John Gruden guy. Not a big John Gruden guy. However. I like him from a brand standpoint. Like I think I think he's a great motivator. He's a rah-rah guy, very old school, tough nose. He's gonna play his style of football is really my style of football. Like I love running the ball, being physical. And um, but I don't I don't necessarily feel like he fits well in this era and generation with the players. Um, but here's why. I would love to own this team. So with them moving to Las Vegas, their value is going to go up even more. So they're valued at the 34th most valuable sports franchise, um, according to Forbes. So their value set at $2.42 billion. And that was a 2% change from a year ago. Okay. So this franchise is, is growing and they were in Oakland in an unbelievably old stadium, a baseball stadium. Okay. So they had been wanting a new field forever. If you've ever watched Raider games when, uh, when baseball season was still going, cause the tail end of the baseball season is at the beginning of the football season. You would see the players playing on the baseball diamond. It's atrocious. Okay. Falling on brick dust hurts. So I'm so glad that they got a new stadium. I honestly wish they would have stayed in Oakland because their fans are super loyal but I feel like the Oakland Raider fan base is very similar to the Cowboys fan base. They travel really well and they're widespread over, over all 50 states. Like 
you, there's Raider fans everywhere. So they have a super loyal fan base. That's number one, okay? Number two, you got a brand new stadium. This thing is absolutely state-of-the-art. It's beautiful. I think it's far nicer than the SoFi Stadium that was built in LA for the Chargers and the Rams. And I love the fact that they're in Vegas, okay? Because there's really, other than the Knights, there's no other competition. So they're the only sports team in town. You have probably the number, this is just my opinion, the number one vacation destination, at least in America. It's probably not number one, but it's definitely top 10. And you're going to have people coming through Vegas that aren't necessarily sports fans, but they're going to go to a Raiders game because number one, the venue's really nice. It's another place for them to party. It's another place for them to socialize. It's another thing to do in Vegas than just go to the Strip, okay? So the Strip in, its, in, in itself is going to attract people to the state, okay? And I think when you think of Nevada, it's like, man, there's really nothing else going on, which is great because there's no other distractions. The thing with, thing with New York, the thing with LA is there's a lot of distractions, okay? So there's other stuff going on or even Miami, right? Like it's beautiful there. So you're not overly concerned with spending your finances on going to a game unless the team is super competitive or it's the playoffs. So I look at I look I look at the Las Vegas Raiders and and the roster as it's currently constructed, I would make a ton of changes. Like I don't think Derek Carr's a franchise quarterback. I think he's a nice player, but I don't think he's a guy I'd want to have for the next 10 years plus. Um and I think they're adding again some nice talent around them. You've got um, Josh Jacobs at running back who they drafted in the first round last year, who should have been the rookie of the year this year, but Kyler Murray won, Kyler Murray won it. And then you add a guy like Henry Ruggs the third this year in the first round as a slot receiver, and he's got tons of speed. So maybe maybe his, his ceiling is Tyreek Hill. If he pans out to that, then great. You have a really, really nice weapon and you continue to build around that. But Again, from an ownership standpoint, I'm not just looking at the roster currently because like you said earlier, Dustin, that I can always upgrade the roster over time, but you can't necessarily change your market, right? Um, And the thing is, the fan base from Oakland, like I mentioned, they're not going to not be Raiders fans now. They're not going to all of a sudden convert to being a Rams or Chargers fan. They're going to stay Raiders fans because Vegas is not that far from Oakland, okay? So it's not like they're making a massive jump like... The Rams going from St. Louis to LA. I mean, they're literally essentially going halfway across the country um, to play in a, a completely different market, right? So you're you're not staying in state, but Nevada and California are very, very close. So again, I think you have branding, you have market, you have the entertainment aspect of Vegas. Um, I really love their fan base. So there's a lot to love here. And I think if you're looking at it from purchasing a team, when you see a team's value go up like the Knicks, when they're not relevant in terms of they're not they're not productive on the field, they're not getting the winning results that you would want, and their value still increases, it shows the power of their brand. And so that's absolutely something I'd want to be a part of. And I think if I was the owner, I could definitely change the culture for what Mark Davis and the Davis family has done and I really think a new injection of youth and a new injection of leadership and and honor and stability in that organization would would go a long way. So this is my pick and I'm sticking to it. I think football is probably the perfect sport for Vegas. Because when you think about it, what football games start at 1030. So you can still like go to Vegas for Vegas reasons and then go to a football game at 1030 
or if you have a Monday night game, you can actually go to the game before you go out and party or if you have a Sunday night game. So what if like, you have a hangover, you, think though, of, you go you just to the drink 10.30 more. game? Is, is, is it not the cure? <laughs> you, just, you, just, you just either pull up all night or you keep drinking, man. I feel like people like, in Vegas don't sleep. Like I feel like they just – if you, when you go to Vegas, like let's say you do like – you take a three-day trip, you're up all three days. No, for sure. It's like if the Knights had fans going to the, their games every night when it was night games, because hockey plays at night, you look at football – at that stadium, especially with how nice the stadium is. And to your point, like Oakland's an eight and a half hour drive. So you're still going to get people going there. You're going to get people vacationing for the weekend in Vegas, driving there. You have, there's probably actually a lot of Raider fans like in Nevada. Like there's a lot of Raider fans in California, Arizona, Texas, Nevada. They're one of the bigger national brands when you look at how big the, the Raider brand is. My biggest question is, is your first move firing John Gruden? Even if you have to eat the contract. Like I think he has to go. See, I don't think he's as bad as people say that he is just because they were really they were really competitive last year. They could have been a playoff team. So now is he my long-term solution? No, it sucks that you have that 10-year contract, right? Which now is what, eight years left on the contract? So that is <laughs> that is the big question mark. But Do you tank for Trevor Lawrence? Like you get him this year? You just go into full tank mode? Okay, if, if I'm tanking and I do get Trevor to. Lawrence, then I get rid of John Gruden for sure. Yeah. Because I'm not ruining his career. That's true. I know a lot of people think that John Gruden's like a quarterback whisperer, but he's not. Like, no, like I like Carr more than I like Gruden. Like it's not that I dislike Gruden. I just think Gruden's like Gruden's like the 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 hype guy. Like if you're gonna have Gruden, you have to have a Sean McVay as your offensive coordinator, right? Or you have you have to have something like that. So I guess in a sense, if you want to keep Gruden, you're just gonna have to. And the type of owner, like I'm Jerry Jones. I might not be Jerry Jones with the media, but like I'm going to be super heavily involved in player personnel, like 100%. And so I want to have a coach that I can trust to some level. And so that's why like it'd be hard for me to keep Gruden because with Gruden, I'd want to have like a big imprint on the staff because I don't want him being the guy like calling my games where if you have a guy like you know, Kyle Shanahan, like I think John Lynch for the most part, and he's a GM, so it's different, but like he lets him do what he does. I'd like to be involved in like player personnel, so like drafting people, free agents, but I want to have a coach that I've been like, hey, I can kind of give the keys to you to run the day-to-day and the games. And with Gruden, that kind of scares me. Like I actually really love the personnel. Like he was my favorite nighttime football analyst. Like he was great. Like I'd watch football games sometimes. I mean, I love football, but it was like, of all the commentators, he was by far my absolute favorite. Oh, so you for love sure. that passion. Sure. And I do like I'm not a huge spread offense guy. I love like how the Cowboys have run their offense the last few years. I love, you know, the consistency of running and passing the football. But I also like a little bit of innovation and I feel like he's so like so old school where it's almost like rub it in your face, my way or the highway old school. And I don't know if that long term works. And for me it's like, yeah, I have him for eight more years. But I'd almost rather just sever the arm and then just move on, you know? Yeah, he has that characteristic of like Bill Belichick, like it's my way or the highway, except the fact that Bill has six Minus rings. the six rings. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like there's a pretty huge discrepancy there. Um, but the type of and owner that Tampa I would be – that Tampa team was stacked too. Well, well, that's what I was going to say. So like for me, when I look at that Tampa team, I don't give the credit to Gruden. I give the credit to Tony Dungy. Like Tony Dungy built that team. It's kind of like yeah. – People today think that Steve Kerr is a great head coach. I don't think he's a great head coach. He Ooh, I like a, this one. He inherited a great team. Mark Jackson, I believe, was the better fit for that team. And I was really sad when they let him go because he got Steph and Clay 
so early and he had to go through the growing pains with Steph's ankle injuries. And Steve Kerr literally took over when Steph and Clay were not just entering their prime. They were probably, I would say they were a little over the start of their prime and already, they had already cemented themselves as like all-star talents in the league. Whereas, and you, and if you, if you've listened to interviews, Steph and Clay both attribute a lot of the success that they have today to Mark Jackson. Like, I think Steve Kerr might have inherited the greatest situation in sports history. And Steve Kerr had one of the worst quotes last week where he said, if Stephen Curry is healthy, we still struggle. Like, you you can't say that. Like, I get that Clay Thompson's out the year, but you have Draymond Green, you have D'Angelo Russell at that point, who was an all-star, and you have Steph Curry. That's better than you're still like a top five, ten franchise from those talented three players. If you can't make the playoffs and you're gonna struggle with that, like it is kind of a testament because like not only can anybody for the most part not coach but babysit Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, and Draymond Green, you throw in Kevin Durant and you don't have to do anything. You just throw up with a tie three days a week and you're gonna win what, 70 games? That's what I'm saying. So the type of owner though that I would be, it would be very similar to what you said. So like I wanna have I wanna have the ability to I wouldn't say control, but I wanna have a large say in player personnel. I want to have a large say in what we're doing from uh, a schematic standpoint. I want to have a large say in, of course, who we're hiring as the head coach. Um, but I definitely wouldn't be like Jerry. Like I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna be on the level of ignorance that Jerry is, where he thinks he knows what he's doing, but he has a track record over three decades that he has no idea what he's doing from a player personnel standpoint. The only reason we've drafted better over the last five years or so is because his son, Steven Jones, has taken over that aspect of player personnel. Like Jerry wanted to draft Johnny Manziel back in 2014, but Steven stepped in and said, no, we need to draft Zach Martin. And I'm so glad that we drafted Zach Martin and not Johnny Manziel. So again, I wouldn't be so involved to where I'm a distraction or an issue. Like I'm not going to be in front of the media after every single game. I'm not going to be commenting on every little contract or every player or every or every action that our players make. I'm going to do my part to run the franchise effectively and be a great leader. But I also want to have some say in some of the important stuff because I love it. I think it's super fun. So that's the reason why I'd want to have a say in that is because I thoroughly enjoy it and I'm passionate about it, not because I need it to boost my ego. No, it's like real life Madden. Like my favorite thing in sports is like rebuilding things. Like it's legit. For me, it's like I've grown up like like watching football um, and I feel like I know a decent amount about it. So to your point, it's like, do I think I'm going to be the smartest guy in the room? No, but I want to like be involved in those conversations. Yeah, I want to hire head coaches that look at the game similar to me. And then at that point, I'm going to let them do what they do, 100%. but yeah, I want to be involved in, you know, catering the team and getting people around me who view a winner in the same formula. And then it's just like, Hey, how do we, how do we take this, you know, off the ground? So. Absolutely. Well, that's going to wrap things up for episode 22 of the DNC podcast. Guys, thank you so much for rating, reviewing, and subscribing to the podcast. Share it with your friends and family. Share it with anybody. I don't care if they're sports fans or not. Share this with them. We would greatly appreciate it. Follow us on our social media platforms on Twitter and Instagram at Dustin and Cole Podcast. Be sure to engage with us on there. We've got a lot of great content that we're posting daily. Um, feel free to drop us a DM. 
with some questions or topics you'd want us to cover on the show. And again, we appreciate the support. Have a great weekend and we'll see you Monday. Mm -hmm.